from the land of adventure and diversity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. Winning the Nobel Peace Prize and signing of Kenya's peace accord are two momentous events that define the life and times of Kofi Atta Annan. One was the apex of a civil service career spanning over five decades, and the second, what he did post-retirement. Arguably one of the most iconic African global statesmen, Kofi's international civil service career still continues to captivate the diplomatic world. The 1990s were one of the busiest periods for the United Nations as they hopped from one conflict to the next in their mission to maintain world peace. At UN headquarters in New York, Kofi had just been promoted to the role of undersecretary in the newly formed Department of Peacekeeping Operations in 1993. This promotion brought him face to face with the politics of war and peace as two major crises unfolded. First, it was the slaughter of almost one million Rwandans in 100 days in 1994. And then, within less than two years, the massacre of over 8,000 men in a UN-protected safe zone. It seemed the UN had failed in its mandate and it was the Kofi Annan-led Department of Peacekeeping that would come into sharp scrutiny. In the aftermath of the genocide, General Dallaire, the then force commander of the United Nations Peacekeeping Force in Rwanda, heavily criticized the Department of Peacekeeping Operations for their slow response to act on intelligence that would have averted the genocide. When I came back to the UN to debrief about the Rwandan genocide, having uh, been withdrawn from the mission, I find it a bit ironic that I'm in the same, exactly the same room where I was and 20 years ago on September 4th. At that time, this room was not as full. And the troop contributing nations that sat around here to hear my debrief were few indeed. And in so doing, reflected so, so clearly where the world leadership was or wasn't during the Rwandan genocide. In his book, Interventions, A Life in War and Peace, Kofi wrote that the slow response to act on intelligence trickled right from the highest office of the Secretary General, thereby hindering the department's handling of the crisis. But nevertheless, Kofi would later on apologize to the people of Rwanda on behalf of the UN, stating that they had failed to avert the Rwandan genocide. It was a failure of all of us. It was our collective failure. The list I have given, we all failed uh, Rwanda. 
As if Rwanda was not enough, the massacre at Srebrenica happened. The tensions at the UN and especially the peacekeeping department were extremely high. Kofi's job as head of the department was hanging in the balance. But luckily, the wheels of fortune would begin to turn in favor of this industrious diplomat from Ghana. There is a new African in the world. That new African is ready to fight his own battle and show that after all, the black man is capable of managing the whole of us. As Kwame Nkrumah was taking over the reins of leadership in Ghana from the British in 1957, Kofi was transitioning from high school into college. He was enrolled to study economics at the current day Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology. Kofi was hardly there for a year when he received a Ford Foundation grant enabling him to finish his studies at the McAllister College in the United States. A lot was happening then and we as students often debated the issues of the day, whether it was a civil rights movement or what was happening in Africa where I had just come from and people wanting to know about the struggle for independence in Africa, which for me also dovetailed with the U.S. civil rights uh, movement. While studying, Kofi had already started to perfect the delicate art of diplomacy in dealing with discrimination. And I recall we were once in, uh, was it uh, Arkansas? No, it wasn't Arkansas, Kansas, on the uh, friend, uh, Ambassador for Friendship trip where we traveled around the states from coast to coast trying. We went into a coffee shop and we sat at the bar and with international group and the there were two ladies, one younger one and an older one, and I heard them saying, you tell him, you tell them, you know, and back and forth. So the young one, blushing, came to tell us, I'm sorry, we don't say blacks, you know, and of course, some of my friends, we started debating, I said, look, uh, if they don't say blacks, we are wasting our time here. Uh, in the end, we, we left. But how did this natural affinity to diplomacy really begin. A journey to where Kofi's story all started is worthwhile. Situated about 250 kilometers northwest of the country's capital Accra, Kumasi is the second largest city in Ghana. A vibrant metropolis, Kumasi has a history going back to the Neolithic age when historians described it as a thriving city with streets wide enough for two carriages to drive side by side. This little building tucked inside the city square of Kumasi is the official home of the Anan family. Son to a father who was a stoic paramount chief from the Ashanti kingdom and a mother who hailed from the Fante royal family, Kofi and his siblings were born into royalty. It is inside this room, on this very same bed, that in 1938, Kofi and his twin sister, Efua Atta, were born. Overlooking the matrimonial bed are pictures of Kofi's mother and father 
eternally frozen in time. The home brought together members of the extended family and all children were practically raised in one place. The Anan family has continued this concept of familial unity to date. By the mid-40s, young Kofi and his twin sister Efwa Atta were attending an elementary school at the St. Cyprian Anglican Church in a building now converted into an education office. He was described as an intelligent young man who remembered everything in the list whenever he was sent to the market to shop. Kofi Annan was a very good person because in the class, most of the teachers loved him. He used to run airlines, not far. If you give him 10 items that do this, everything can be kept in memory. Kofi Annan was a great man. Learn something from him. Where he ended, end there. Or you can go beyond. God bless you all. Kofi and his sister Efwa Atta were raised in both the mother's and the father's side of the family. Their mother came from the fishing town of Cape Coast. This town was once a slave trader's outpost of the Dutch before other European countries came much later. Cape Coast was the first capital of Ghana and housed several seats of government of the Western colonizers in the 18th century. Inside this humble house, Kofi's mother lived with her extended family. Kofi and his siblings came here every schooling holiday when they were in middle school. This unfinished family house was one of Kofi's last undertaking. Isaac Hooper, who bears a striking resemblance to Kofi, is the current head of this house. He has fond memories of Kofi. This place was what dear to him. He didn't want the place to be commercialized or something. Or, so he makes sure that the family maintains the place. So uh, he asks us, what can we do? And then we tell him and he brings his help. And then that's what we are doing. So to keep the family one. In 1954, Kofi was enrolled at the Mfansipim School, a Methodist institution in Cape Coast, founded in the 1870s. John Kufour, the former president of Ghana, was one of Kofi's age mates and a friend as they grew up in Kumasi. The two of us were born in the year 1938. Around 53, 54, uh, was sent to a secondary school in Cape Coast, Fansipim School, the oldest secondary school in Ghana. A man with a great sense of humor, Kofi managed to charm his way into the heart of Tiki Alakija. Kofi and Tiki would sire two children, Ama and Kojo, but their marriage would end up in divorce by the late 1970s. That was around the time my parents got divorced. We lived alone together in um, Geneva. 
Probably, I think my earliest memories are probably when I was um, two, three years old. Um, childhood memories, like any kid um, running around the house, playing. I remember you know, him probably trying to get me to bed or you know, me being a rascal. The usual father and son memories or running into his room and get his dry cleaning in those days. The shirts would come in, um, there's a cardboard, then a shirt, and I used to always get the cardboard and then I used to draw my paintings or drawings in those days on those cardboard from his dry clean shirts, yeah. His charm, however, could not escape the notice of Nan, a Swedish lawyer who also worked at the United Nations. She too, like Kofi, was a young single parent with a child called Nina from a previous marriage. They would court and finally wed in 1984. When we met in Geneva, a social gathering, and I don't think uh, difficult to see that one would be caught by his charisma and his warmth. So uh, obviously I was interested. He had this psychological insight which he had developed during these years and of his interest in people. So I think these characteristics would help him later in life when he was suddenly at the UN with the, all the complexities. You know, he, used, he used to say that there's more that unites us than divides us. And for us, I was Nan and he was Kofi. And we were together Kofi and Nan, not a Ghanaian, not a Swede, not a European, not an African, but we two human beings. And also, of course, that I love to go to Ghana. I love that warm and welcoming feeling. We made our home there where we could gather the family, the children and the grandchildren later. And uh, he also enjoyed coming to Sweden, even if it was a bit colder. At home, life was all smooth sailing. But at the UN, everything was in a complete turmoil as the Bosnian war raged on. Boutros Ghali, the then Secretary General of the UN, was increasingly being criticized for his handling of the crisis, especially by the United States. His unpopularity came at a great advantage to Kofi, who was being touted to replace him as the next Secretary General should he be ousted. Nevertheless, Boutros still ran unopposed for his second term of office, but the United States vetoed his candidature. This would force Boutros to suspend his application and pave the way for Kofi's candidature. Kofi would win the first round of elections, but France would veto him four times before finally abstaining. This single act would herald a new history in the making as Kofi Annan would become the first Secretary General chosen from within the staff ranks of the United Nations. I, Kofi Annan. I, Kofi Annan. Solemnly swear. Solemnly swear. To exercise in all loyalty. To exercise in all loyalty. Discretion and conscience. Discretion and conscience. The functions entrusted to me. The functions entrusted to me. As Secretary General of the United Nations. As Secretary General of the United Nations.
And in so doing, the man who rose from a tiny palace in the West African country of Ghana was now at the helm of the diplomatic world. It was all a bit of a whirlwind, something propelled onto the global stage. And of course, so many things changed for the family and for our lives going forward. The weeks before, you were just Kojo Annan, some guy. And the next day, you're Kofi Annan's son or Kofi Annan's daughter. And everyone's dynamics and body language changes towards you. And looking back, that, that is what happened here. Even when he got more and more responsibilities, he, he would have time. So, and he was that type of person that you felt that, you know, when you were talking to him, he was concentrating on you. In Geneva, he was a single father for a while. And he was sort of saying, well, if you want me in a meeting, then you have to do it before this and that time, because after that, I will have to go home and take care of Kojo. I think he was a wonderful father and really, really genuinely interested in the plans and the activities. And the same with the children. But just before he could get a chance to settle into his new role, the Iraq crisis broke out in 1998. Even though he was heavily backed to the post by the United States, he was now receiving a backlash from them for the failure of the United Nations special mission to disarm Iraq. Events in Iraq have now reached the final days of decision, urging the dictator to leave Iraq so that disarmament can proceed peacefully. In an unprecedented move, Kofi decided to visit Iraq's embattled leader Saddam Hussein with the aim of brokering a peace deal. Bijan Furnudi is a former colleague of his. He understands how Kofi would go to great lengths to ensure peace prevailed. He reached out to all stakeholders. He spoke to everyone, which meant that sometimes he was sitting around the table with characters that you could describe as slightly unsavory. He would travel to Baghdad before the US-led invasion in, in 2003 and meet Saddam Hussein. He spent a lot of time with uh, persons that many considered to be at the root of problems. History has shown that um, his position was correct because he was against the war in Iraq purely because he didn't believe there were weapons of mass destruction and I think you know, we still haven't found them. When Kofi Annan became the seventh Secretary General of the United Nations, he entered into an organization that was trying to redeem itself from several failures of the previous administration. Six weeks after we came up with a reform plan, somebody managed to get an article into a newspaper complaining that uh, I have not reformed the UN and its agencies in six weeks flat. In the midst of this surmounting challenge, Kofi went about it with a great sense of humor. I started by apologizing for my failure to reform the UN in such a short period. And Sergei Lavrov, who's today the foreign minister of Russia and the only communist in the room, he quoted the Bible. He said, Mr. Secretary General, what are you complaining about? You've had more time than God had in creating the world. <laughs> and I said, yes, you're right. But God had a unique advantage. 
he worked alone. <laughs> and indeed, he hit the ground running. Soon after he took the oath of office, he released two reports on management reforms for his administration. He also managed to merge many departments that were redundant and quickly reduced the staff size by 1,000 personnel. Beyond the reforms that he had to undertake, there were crises brewing in all corners of the world, most notably the East Timor conflict. Indonesia was not willing to let East Timor have its independence, but Kofi convinced the government of Suharto to allow for a referendum for the people of East Timor to decide. They voted for independence and all hell broke loose. East Timor, and that uh, he was very involved with that, uh, by how to resolve that issue, and that meant also receiving calls during the night and, uh, and uh, working through the day. Because he was so involved with his work, I would also be driving the car to not to, if we were going out somewhere. But Kofi would bring the government of Indonesia around, and a new country was born. The Nobel Peace Committee took note of this and other endeavors in Kosovo and Yemen. Kofi's Nobel Peace Prize came at the height of his successful diplomatic career. Peace must be sought above all because it is the condition for every member of the human family to live a life of dignity and security. It was actually my parents who then called from Sweden saying, wow, you got the Nobel Peace Prize, that is so wonderful. You know, he was always a very modest person, a very humble person, but I think in this particular case, he was so delighted both for the United Nations and what it stands for, and also, of course, very happy for himself. There's still no end in sight to the political violence in Kenya, which has claimed the lives of nearly 900 people. Supporters of President Mawai Kabaki and opposition candidate Raila Odinga tried to settle on the street what they could not decide at the ballot box. What will it take to bring calm to Kenya? Kofi Annan's first major job under his foundation would come in 2008 when the East African country of Kenya erupted into civil strife after contested election results were announced. Former Ghanaian President John Kufour was the first mediator to be sent to the country since he was the sitting head of the Africa Union. The reports that came across were not good reports. Killings of people, destruction of property, and within a short space of time, over a thousand people had lost their life. As head of the African Union, I felt a duty to come to Nairobi to plead with the two sides, only to find that there was a, a irreconcilable situation between the government and the opposition. I had only a very limited time. I think after the second day, since the time was running out for me, I had a, a brainstorm and Kofi Annan's name came into my head. The spotlight then shifted to Kofi Annan, who was called to come and mediate the conflict. There should be 
a dialogue under the auspices of uh, eminent Africans. President Kibaki readily accepted the name Kofi Annan. So I rushed to Intercontinental to meet with Raila Nko. And I said, with that, we might talk. Leading a team of eminent African personalities, Kofi Annan firmly declared that his work will be to reach a peaceful solution in the shortest time possible. I think from the outset we saw him as uh, impartial. He commanded respect because of the international role he had played. So we had confidence that they will, without being partisan, be able to bring us together. And the first thing the late Kofi Annan did when he arrived was to put the negotiating teams from both sides in a room and he requested us to shake each other's hands. I personally found it almost offensive, but didn't say so. And we went ahead, reluctantly in my heart, you offer a limp hand and we shook hands around. And that diffused the tension and the awkwardness. And then now he briefed us how he hoped us to proceed. I think it is important that we do all we can, not only to end the violence, bring peace and stability here, but also look at the root causes of the problem. You're all Kenyans. There's only one Kenya. And we should think about our common humanity and what unites us rather than what divides us. Over the course of 41 days, Kofi was able to broker several peace deals that led to the two warring leaders signing the peace accord. This agreement signaled the birth of a coalition government in Kenya. For a man who strived to foster peace, proper governance and reconciliation, Kofi Atta Annan will remain in the lives of many for his role in peace brokering efforts across the globe. Rest in peace, Basumuro Kofi Atta Anand.